wonderful to be back in the Lord's house tonight. We appreciate each of you that have come. I, I know our crowd is off tonight, and I expect it would be. Uh, a lot of the churches have just uh, closed up tonight and not having services, but uh, we're glad that you're here. And I know that we have many who are out sick, and uh, let's pray for them tonight that God will bless them with a renewed health and, and strength. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles tonight to Psalms 133. Psalms 133. Uh, I remember several years ago when I started attending the pastor's conference on Monday morning that there was a dear pastor who was uh, presiding over that group of uh, preachers at that time. And he would open the pastor's conference each Monday morning with this passage of Scripture. He pastored uh, Mount Harmony Church over in, in uh, Nyota. And he was just such a kind and uh, loving gentleman. But this was his passage of Scripture. And let's just read it together. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word tonight. And Lord, as we stand here to break the bread of life to your people, we pray that, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just fill us, Lord, and just use us for your honor and your glory. We pray for those who could not be here tonight. We pray your blessings upon them, especially those who are sick, that, Lord, that you would touch their bodies and bring healing to them. Lord, we pray for those who are bereaved tonight. We know that we have a couple of deaths here that pertain to this church. And, Father, we pray you'd comfort and strengthen those folks. And, Lord, we ask you tonight that your Holy Spirit will just be free to move in our hearts and our lives. May you be glorified and magnified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The word unity is only mentioned three times in the King James Version of the Bible. It might be mentioned that in other Bibles. Uh, the idea is presented in more than, than those three places. But the word unity, as it uh, is mentioned here, and it's an interesting word. As I looked up the meaning of it and have studied on this, uh, the word unity, it has the idea of being pleasant. Notice how it says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's a good thing. And it's a pleasant thing. And that word pleasant, it, it refers to the harmony of music. As we sang tonight and as Cape played, we were in harmony. We were singing those notes and, uh, and those words in, in harmony. And it's beautiful when it's done in harmony. But let it get off key or something of that sort and break the harmony and it's not, not as pleasing to the ear. It also talks about the pleasantness of a cornfield. Now, you'd kind of have to be a farmer to, to know what I'm talking about, but 
when corn gets up about waist high or something like that, and you can see it catching the wind as the breeze moves through, and it, they all move in, in unison, one with another. And it talks about that, that uh, unity is like that, the pleasantness of a cornfield. It also refers to the sweetness of honey. That is that pleasant. It, it's, it's like the sweetness of honey. I've got some honey butter at home that a friend of mine gave it to me. He, he raised his bees and uh, he sent me a jar of that and I, I'd never seen any quite like it. I don't know how he makes it, but it's, it's uh, very hard in the jar. You have to take a, a knife or a spoon and, and scrape it out, but you let it touch hot toast and boy, it'll just slide right across it and just spread out so smooth. And it adds such a wonderful sweet taste to that toast. He talks about also sweet things in opposition to bitterness. Now a lot of people think that unity and uniformity are the same thing, but they're not. Unity has to do more with our mission, our purpose. Whereas uniformity has to do with making everybody alike. And of course we know that we'll never reach uniformity because we're all different people. God made us different and we, we, we work differently and all like that. But the, the word, it means to become one, to be alike but to, and to be united. We, have, we live in a place called the United States of America. We have 50 states that make up the United States. And we're certainly not all alike. And every, every one of those 50 states has their own laws and their own governing way and, and those kind of things. But yet, as a whole, we pull together. And we, we work together for the good of the whole. Now, David shares with us here his, his description of unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is. For what? For brethren to dwell together in unity. David saw that as a good thing. David was a, a ruler of, the, of Israel. He was the king when he wrote this. And he had saw how good it was when men and women and boys and girls can work together and dwell together in unity. And it had blessed him and he tries to describe it. He said it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Went down to the skirts of his garments and he compares it to that holy anointing oil that God had uh, Moses and Aaron to make over in, in the book of Exodus and how that this was taken and it was placed upon the, the, the head of the priests there and how it ran down upon their beard and down on their clothes and, and even down to the skirts of their garments. And I'm sure that David had probably been around at some of those places where the priest was anointed with that and he had smelled that sweet aroma that came from that holy anointing oil. He, he likened it to that, that precious ointment that, that was just poured on the priest and it came down and dripped on his clothes and just became a wonderful sweet smell. He compares it also to the dew of Hermon. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in that part of the world. 
It rises, I believe, over 6,000 feet above sea level. It can be seen from the Mediterranean Sea. It can be seen over most all of the East Asia area, most anywhere you're at in, in, in uh, the Holy Land. If you know where to look, you can look and you can see Mount Hermon towering up over the rest of the landscape there. It's on Mount Hermon where uh, most of the snow is in, in that part of the world. And it snows there quite often. Sometimes I even hear that it, even in June that it will snow upon Mount Hermon there. And that's where the headwaters of the Jordan River starts is with the stream flowing off of Mount Hermon and comes on down and joins with some other streams and becomes the Jordan River, which waters uh, the Israeli uh, landscape there. He says it's as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. He had been up on that mountain evidently. He'd been on the other mountains there. And he knew about the dew that would come up in, during the night and the dew that would be on the ground in the morning and how, how pleasant that was and how it, it blessed things. And he said, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. That that dew would, was a blessing that God sent. Even in the driest weather, there would be some dew upon those mountains. But over in Ephesians, if you'll turn there, we want to see some other things about unity. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he, he's encouraging them to be in unity one with another. And he talks about this here. And unity, as I said, is not uniformity. But we'll see a lot of difference here. And we'll just begin in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or beg you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. He reminded them of their salvation experience, that they, they had been called by God and they had come to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He tells them how to live that way. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. That as the church, they were to walk humbly with each other. They would be meek with each other. They were to be long-suffering and forbearing with each other as they loved each other. And look at verse 3. Here's, here's the next place that the word unity appears. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul understood the importance of unity in the church. Paul understood that it was a job to keep the unity. That's what that word endeavoring means. It means to work hard. Work hard to, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That when there's unity, there's that bond of peace that comes among God's people. And oh, what a beautiful thing that is. But what an ugly thing it is when that bond is broken and is shattered and, and people get out of unity with each other and become uh, disunified and those kind of things. And, but he, he gives us seven things that points out these unities in, in verses 4 and following. He says, first of all, there's one body. And he's talking about the church. This is the body of Christ. There's just one. There's not a Presbyterian body and a Catholic body and a Baptist body and a, a Pentecostal body and so on and so forth. They're just one body, the body of Christ. 
That's the church. The Lord only made one. Yes, we've got different congregations around, but we're all a part of that one body. The world needs to see the unity of the church. There's one body. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. If you're born again by the grace of God, God's Holy Spirit has come to live in your life. He's there. He's there to, to help you through the times when you need Him. He's there to convict you when you go astray. He's there to, to help you to uh, get back in line with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there to be our guide and our stay. He guides us. He directs us. Paul tells us over in the book of Romans, if any man have not the Spirit, he's none of his. You don't belong to the Lord if you don't have the Spirit of God in your life. He comes to live in your life when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And we're, we're commanded in the Word of God to be filled with the Spirit of God. We're to seek that filling from the Holy Spirit and allow Him to fill our lives and to control our lives and to be all that He needs to be in our life. He says there's one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. You see unity there again? All of us have a... A, a calling of hope in our life, the hope of glory. That's Jesus. He gives us hope when He comes to live in our life. We, there's no need to go around in despair. I know that times are tough right now. I know that, that the news, if you turn it on and if you watch that, it'll drive you crazy after a while. But there is still much in this world that God is controlling and God is working through and it just gives us hope. And there's hope that one day, as we sung tonight, the King is coming. He's coming, friends. Whether you believe it or not, He's coming. And sometimes we just stop and say, even so come, Lord Jesus. There's that one calling, one hope of your calling. There's one Lord. Again, His name is Jesus. There's not five lords or six lords. There's seven lords. There's just one Lord. One Lord. His name is Jesus. There's just one faith. I, I often hear people say, well, I'm, I'm not of your faith. Well, what faith are you from? <laughs> there, the Bible says there's just one faith. I, I realize that we use that word sometimes to distinguish between different denominations of people. And we find differences in, the, in our beliefs at times like that. But, but there's just one faith, and that faith is anchored and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one baptism. Now somebody's going to say, well, now you know I was sprinkled. And another one will say, well, I poured water on me. Another one will say, well, I was dunked. I was immersed. Well, the Bible says there's one baptism. I don't know that it's talking so much about water baptism here. The Bible talks about us being baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's one baptism, but even if it's water baptism, there's just one. There's one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I believe, I believe Paul was from the South, don't you? Notice how many times he used that word, you all. <laughs> There's one God, Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Isn't that wonderful? 
We don't have a, a Baptist God and a Presbyterian God. No, we have one God. He's the Father of all. He's above all. And He's through all. And He lives in all of us who've trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And He talks about the ministry gifts then. and You, you find some diversity here. That there is diversity even in unity. Now I know that diversity has become a, a hot word today. That it's, it's something that uh, the world wants us to honor the diversity of everybody that, that everybody's doing right and nobody's doing wrong. But I, I can't quite go along with that because I, I read too much in the Bible that describes things that are, we're seeing today as wrong. But it won't get into that. But unto every one of us is given grace. Notice that. Every one of us. The Bible talks about a measure of grace in another place. Every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. This is a gift from God. Grace is a gift. And it comes to us, a measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity cavity and gave gifts unto men. Paul kind of puts a parenthesis in here. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same above, same also that descended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. But he comes back to his main topic in verse 11 about the gifts that has been given. He gave gifts unto men. You and I are gifted differently. And God does that so that we can minister in different ways to different people and to meet different situations in our life. He gave some apostles. There were the 12 apostles. We know that Judas betrayed Jesus and went out and hanged himself. We know that Peter denied Jesus. These are the apostles, but yet we also notice that over in the book of Acts that they elected Matthias as, as a replacement for Judas. We don't see much out of Matthias in the Bible. Matter of fact, I think that's the only place he's, he's really mentioned there. But he had gave those men apostles. They opened up the gospel to the world. They were used by God. And I found it very enlightening the other week when I studied about how each of them died. That John was the only one that died a natural death. And John was probably well over a hundred years old when he died. He died out on the Isle of Patmos because he had been exiled out there for preaching the gospel. And that's where he wrote the book of the Revelation that we have today. But all of these others, other than Judas, died martyrs' death. They were put to death because of their beliefs in the Lord Jesus Christ and their preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave some apostles and some prophets. Prophets are uh, those men who are equipped to prophesy things and 
they, we, we saw prophets, so they can foretell things or they can foretell. And they, a prophet has the, both meanings to that word there, to foretell things. Paul was one of those who prophesied. He prophesied of a lot of the things that are yet to come. We, we probably learn more from Paul about the second coming of Christ than any other writer in the Bible. God gave him that gift and he prophesied. We can go back in the Old Testament and there were the Old Testament prophets. There was Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and the other uh, prophets of old there that they were foretelling the future. But then there's that idea of a prophet who can take the word of God and proclaim it in such a prophetic way that it causes people to understand and causes them to realize that the Word of God applies to today and we can see what's going on in our world today right through the Bible, the Word of God. And some evangelist. The word evangelist there is the Greek word euangelion. And it talks about one who goes and announces the good truth, good, good news proclaiming the Word of God. We don't hear of many evangelists in our world today. Back when I was a young preacher, it was a very popular thing for men to, who had been pastoring churches who had the gift of an evangelist, that many of them went out and started preaching revivals because back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and even into some of the 90s, revivals were a big thing. Most churches would have a, one or two every year. And these men were greatly used of God. I remember Earl Taylor was one of my good friends, and I used him several times in, in evangelistic events such as revivals. And they were always effective. They had that gift of, of sharing the gospel in such a way that people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Earl told me one time, he said, every time I've tried to pastor a church, I got fired. Why? He's gone all the time in revivals. He was staying busy and he, he couldn't be a pastor and be at home and shepherding the sheep there and out, out there preaching. So he finally went into full-time evangelism and there he was, he was very successful at that. God used him greatly. Even in his older days, he, he still continued to preach many revivals. But there are men like that. But there are very few today that I know of that are, that are still being full-time evangelists. They're just probably churches are not having revivals, so they, they kind of got hungry and had to go back and do something else. But, and he says, in some pastors, the word pastor, it's the same word that is translated shepherd in other places in the Bible. A pastor is to be the shepherd of the flock. He's to pastor God's sheep, to shepherd God's sheep. And pastors are very special people that God has called to, to, to do the work of the ministry in the local church and keep the local church involved and, and moving and, and being what she needs to be. 
And then he talks about teachers. And you notice it says pastors and teachers. Some, uh, some versions of the Bible just puts a slash there, pastor, teacher. And of course, part of the job of a pastor is being a teacher, teaching what the Word of God has to say. Someone said to me one day, said, I think you're more of a teacher than you are a preacher. And I said, thank you. And they said, why do you say that? I said, because Jesus was called a teacher. And I, you know, I, I take that as a compliment when people say you're a, you're a Bible teacher. Because that's, that's really what I am. And God has used me as a pastor many, many places. And, and I, I'm grateful for that. Well, what's the work? What's the purpose of, of these? Where's the unity at here? Well, look at verse 12. God gives these different gifts. And He uses these different people in different ways to do something that unifies for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting, in your, your Bible it probably says equipping, for the equipping of the saints. You see, it was the apostles' job to equip the saints. It was the prophet's job to equip the saints. It was the evangelist's job to equip the saints. It's the pastor's job to equip the saints. It's the teacher's job to equip the saints. To equip them for what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know, when a church is really being what it should be, every member of the church has a ministry to perform and is busy doing ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we've come to a place to where people say, well, that's the pastor's job. No, the pastor's job is to help equip you to do your job, to take the gospel out all over the communities, where you work, where you go to school, everywhere that you go, that you minister to people. In the name of Jesus. We've kind of got that messed up. But notice what happens when it's, do it, when it's working. When it's being done correctly. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. You want the church to grow? Go to work. Start doing your job. Start doing what God's called you to do. What God's equipped you to do. And that will edify the body. It will build up the body, the local body, and the spiritual body of Christ. That's how it works. When you leave it to one or two people, it doesn't get the job done. You see, you can minister to people that I'll never meet. You can minister to people that I'll never know. And I'll minister to people that you may never meet and you may never know. Each one of us has got a part in this thing that we call the ministry. You may not be ordained, but yet you're, you're still chosen by God and you're gifted by God to be a minister, to minister to people, to serve people. That's another word for ministry, to serve that's one of the things we're learning in this return to me. One of the things we studied this week was about unity. 
How that we need to be unified and working. Doesn't mean we're all doing the same thing, but it edifies the body of Christ. Well, how long are we supposed to do that? Well, here comes the third time that unity is used. In verse 13, we're supposed to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of the Christ, till, here comes the, clink, the clinker, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the fullness, of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. There's much to be done, isn't there? We're to minister, edifying the body of Christ until we all come in the unity of the faith. Has that happened? I don't see it happen. It's not a, a fact right now. Until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Until everybody has the knowledge of the Son of God. Oh, wow, we're lagging way behind. We've got a whole world to reach for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know here in Tennessee, just our home state, our population is somewhere right around 9 million people now. But they tell us that there's somewhere close to 6 million of those Nine million that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We've got a mission field right here at home, right here in Etowah. Wherever you go, wherever you work, wherever you might be, there's a mission field there. And God expects us to be ministers in that mission field. He expects us to be a, a witness and we're to do it in the unity of the faith. I like what this ministerial association in here in Etowah is doing. I, I've never got to meet with them. I've met with two or three me of the members of it. But they're working toward that unity of the faith. And it's not a Baptist meeting or a Presbyterian or a Methodist meeting, but they just meet and worship the Lord. And serve the Lord together. And that's the way it ought to be. It's man's ideas that has caused the splits and the divisions down through years. And man wanting it his way instead of God's way. And I have to remind us that this is God's church. It doesn't belong to us. It's his. And however he wants it operated, that ought to be the way it's operated. I think you're a kind, loving people, and I love you from the depths of my heart, but we've got to get busy. We've got to get out where the rubber meets the road and out there loving on people and telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. I know COVID's got us scared, and we're afraid to go shake hands with somebody and afraid to talk to them, but I want to remind you, God's still in control. 
And God can use this COVID for His glory if He chooses to do so. Someone put on Facebook and said they believe that, that God has given the greatest altar call ever given. Well, think about that. People that are healthy getting this stuff and dying just pretty rapidly with it. But man's always died since Adam and Eve. But we've got work to do. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man, a mature man. Until we all mature in Christ unto the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Have you reached the stature of the fullness of Christ? I haven't. I've still got a ways to go, a long ways. <laughs> and he says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. And it's talking about people, that joint, every joint. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Isn't that tremendous? That's what the Lord expects out of us. He expects us to be in unity one with another. He expects us to be in unity with Him through His Holy Spirit. How wonderful unity is among God's people. Is there division in your family? Is there division in your home? Is there division on your job? Is there division in our church? There probably is. I don't know who or what. But it's unity that God pleads with us about. It's unity. To come together in unity. The unity of the faith. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I just come tonight to thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given us this wonderful, wonderful passages of Scripture about unity. And how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. You've given us a description of it, Lord. You've given us the words over from Paul's mouth, what unity looks like in the church. Help us, Lord, to forget all these ideas that Satan has planted in our mind about we're different and we shouldn't try to get along with other people. But your word teaches us that we're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. And that if we know you, that's the unifying point. And we're to work together in unity. Father, I pray. I pray not only for this church, but I pray for the, the town and the city of Etowah, Lord. That God, that you will send revival among us. That you, Lord, will send the fire from heaven down upon us, O oh God. 
get us back to where we need to be. Get us back to being the minister that we need to be and that you want us to be, Lord, and that every born-again child of God becomes a minister, ministering to those round about us, ministering for you, ministering to the, for the body of Christ, that the body may be edified and built up. And Lord, we pray that you will be glorified. Now have your will and your way in our hearts and our lives tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.